1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. After recording these for weeks, of course, the last time we do bootleg after dark from L.A. before I go up to Washington for us to finish out this home and home. The last one we do at night is when I finally figure out how to semi-properly light this
0: you know why you always find something in the last place you look? Why is that? Because after you find it, you stop looking. <sighs> I,
1: I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I am, I'm, I mean, I'm happy, but I'm so angry. You're, you're so not happy. <laughs> that I wasted like a month of my life trying to figure out. And I just, all I had to do was raise the lights. I know, That's it.
0: Now we are bathed in this heavenly glow oh. and we get to talk about an exciting team at the same time. I'm a moron. I doubt that.
1: I am excited about the Colts, though. And I say that as somebody who's wearing a Texans hoodie because I'm a Texas You're not fan. a
0: moron for being excited about the Colts, just to be Well, clear. I was a
1: moron for being excited about the Colts last year. We were morons. Because we predicted them to win... Everything. ...13? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> like... we, we really thought that Matt Ryan was the answer, and it turns out it no, wasn't. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Uh... Also, right guard was a mess, and they had a bunch of injuries, and yada, yada, yada. We'll get into all that. Uh, but this year, though... It's different. This year is so different. <laughs> Jay, Autumn, Anthony, roll the intro. Yeah! Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman. That is my. Uh, Lovely co-host, EJ Snyder. We're talking Colts today. Uh, I alluded to it yesterday when doing the Texans episode that I thought this team could potentially make a massive, massive jump this year uh, from being one of the worst in the NFL to potentially one of the most dangerous in the NFL. Because even though their record was trash last year, (laughs) they still have a lot of talent. Um, I think they have a coaching staff that absolutely fits that talent. And if Anthony Richardson is what I think he's going to be, he could be the next super weapon quarterback in the AFC, as if they didn't have enough of those already. I think we're going to see flashes of what he can be.
0: And I, like you, strongly believe in his potential. He is still a rookie quarterback. He does have a lot of things to learn. We are going to see flashes of that brilliance this year. Their record will be better. There's almost no way it can be worse. Will it be (laughs) like light years better? I don't think it will be. We'll talk about predictions at the very end. They're going to be more exciting this year, and we are going to see like very tantalizing bits of, oh, he can do that. He's not going to do it all the time because no rookie quarterbacks do it all the time. But he is surrounded by a very good team that probably can't have more things go wrong in 2023 than it did in 2020. Everything
1: that could have gone wrong went wrong. Like it it was, it was disaster. (laughs) And you know, the first month of the season you and I were kind of like something's off here. And then I distinctly remember the Denver game, which I think was a Thursday night game. And we were watching that on stream and that was when it really set in like, oh my God, this is what they are. Yeah. This is not going to change. It's not going to get better.
0: We were very wrong. Mea culpa. Probably going to be a rough season, Colts fans. All that stuff kicked in. And it was really difficult because we really thought that Matt Ryan was uh, the key to unlock Colts roster that was pretty good last year. May even be better this year. It it wasn't. The wheels fell off in a in a tragic way. And they ended up with an overall record of 4-12-1. They were third in the division. They only won two games at home. They were two and six. Road record was no better, two, six, and one. And the last five games was an absolute slide to the finish, 0 for 5. So there was just very little to be happy about after pretty much the opening gun last season. There was that little sort of, oh, everybody's figuring it out in September. And then by the end of September, it was like, I'm not sure they're going to figure it out. (laughs) And by the middle of October, I'm sure they're not going to figure it out. This is, this is it. And that was devastating for Colts fan base for sure. Uh, you know, we had done our own part to pump them up with a lot of gasoline before the season, that this was going to be the Colts year to take this division and run wild. And the absolute opposite happened. It was one of the most surprising things. One of the most surprising results in the NFL for me last year. Um, overall we end up with an effectiveness summary for that team that looks pretty representative of what we saw on the field another example of the bootleg power score matching the product that we saw displayed on the field um, rushing offense 30th in the league passing offense 32nd in the league just absolutely it would have been lower bottom. if it could it was that <laughs> if there bad. wasn't a bottom it would have been worse it's true. Rush defense, the lone bright spot for this team. Sixth, a top 10 rushing defense. Pass defense, 25th. Pretty rare that we see that big of a gap between basically two halves on one side of the ball, rushing and passing, both on the defensive side. Sixth to 25th. That is a massive disparity. Points scored and points allowed. They were consistent. They were 30th in both, (laughs) which is not great, but it is consistent. So you take all those scores, four of them in the 30s, one of them 25. It's not going to be great. We know that already. Take those six scores, add them up, divide by six. The bootleg power score is 26. Real low, in fact, 31st overall as we stack these scores throughout the league. So second to worst. Pretty reflective of the product we saw on the field. I, you know, it's a win for Bootleg Power Score because it's reflective of the team. It was not a win for Indianapolis in any way.
1: They were a perfect example of the game passing by a, a certain archetype of quarterback. That archetype being an older, immobile quarterback because. When they were struggling with a rookie left tackle in the first six weeks, Bernhard Reimann took a while to get going. To his credit, he improved a lot over the back half of the year, and I think you know he's going to hit the ground running and have a, a really nice second year. Um, but between a rookie left tackle getting his ass kicked in the first couple months of the year and having uh, due to injuries and also just ineffective spot starters, a... a collective right guard situation that was the worst in the league, I know Titans fans will chime in and say that, no, no, we had the worst guard situation. No, it was, it was bad. It was straight up bad. And it was, again, a whole cast of characters that were cycled in at right guard throughout the year. None of them were, none of them were working, right? Even, you know, Quentin, big Q, even he had a down year. And I don't know if he was playing hurt or what, but you know, he was, he was giving up pressures at a rate higher than we're used to seeing. Um, and when you have an older quarterback that can't move and you have an offensive line that even the good players are having down years, you're going to take a lot of sacks. And he was taking a ridiculous, like historic amount of sacks in the first half of the year before, you know, Matt Ryan got benched and they could never really get over that. Um, they do have weapons like they have young tight ends that we adore. They have young receivers that we're super excited about. They have one of the most dynamic running back rooms in the league. But when you have a quarterback that can't move and an offensive line that can't protect a quarterback that can't move, none of that shit matters. It it really was a prime example of how in the modern NFL, you either have to have a ridiculous offensive line or you need to have a quarterback that can buy time when you don't have a ridiculous offensive line. Tom Brady couldn't move either, but when they won the Super Bowl, they had a great front five. Um, You know, you look at some of the dynamic quarterbacks around the league, like Mahomes, like the the Chiefs tackles were giving up a shitload of pressures last year, but Mahomes could move and he could make things happen. So you need to have one of those two, preferably both, but you need to have one of those two elements, either a mobile quarterback or a good offensive line. Colts had neither. They were dead in the water. They got shellacked. It wasn't pretty. And that added up to
0: a lack of belief that the overall system could work, uh, a lack of faith in the guy leading the team from the most important position, which is tough when you're coming in on a sort of mercenary basis, right? You're there for one year to see, truly one year to see how you can do. It had a string of those guys. They were a little, I think there was a little sort of resonant shell shock from earlier years of going, hey, this approach doesn't work oh, this is the year it's going to work. Oh, it's not working again, maybe for different reasons, but the result is the same. And, you know, they say momentum isn't real in football. It was real after that. They were rolling downhill, and it didn't – well, they certainly didn't find a way to reverse that at any point during the season.
1: Luckily for the Colts, um, they definitely learned from that. And when you look at what their starting offensive line looks like this year – and also what their presumptive starting quarterback looks like this year. Not only do I think, or rather, not only do I have more confidence in the starting five this year, but I also have more confidence that even if games where they're having kind of a rough go of it, Anthony Richardson can get out of trouble. Like, he has way better pocket mobility than he was ever given credit for in the pre-trap process. Much better pocket mobility and pocket sense than even, like, Will Levis had. Um, You know, I was chanting from the rooftops, early on in the process that he should have been a top five pick and specifically a top five pick to the Colts for all these reasons that we're talking about. They ended up taking him after all. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of my ego writing on, on this working out, <laughs> but like I, I thought from the very beginning that it made sense because he fixes or not even fixes, he gives them such a better margin for error. Um, and I, I just think that, the rest of the pieces that we were excited about last year that made us think like, Hey, this could be a 12 win team. Those pieces are still there. Mm -hmm. And the problem that was holding them back on paper has been fixed. So I'm, I'm super excited to see what this team can do. Again, I say that as a Texans fan. So like I'd still prefer they miss the playoffs, but for my Colts fans, friends sake, That that makes sense. You're asking for a friend. (laughs) I mean, I do have some friends that are Colts fans (laughs) and for their sake, I, I, I I am excited to see what this kid can do. And I'm also excited for Anthony Richardson just because he got lambasted uh, by a lot of people that I just, for lack of a better term, I don't think they know ball. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, there were so many people that were coming up with these crazy narratives about accuracy and using raw completion percentage people. It's 2023. Don't Don't use raw completion percentage. You're better than that. Watch the fucking tape. He's good.
0: As soon as you dove into his tape, because when it first started early in the process, it was like, maybe there's something here. Look at the highlights. Here's the wow plays. And then people immediately went to the next stage, which is the early easy stage of evaluation. I won't even call it evaluation. The early easy stage of like, who is this guy? Mm Mm-hmm. And they went, ooh, OK, those numbers don't look like numbers that we've seen traditionally in the past from quarterbacks that have done well quickly. There are people that have come out of some of those numbers and are good now, but it took a while. So instantly whoosh, people slapped the project label on them. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of people started their evaluation process was like, OK, massively talented physically, big arm, big frame. Good wheels when he takes off. We've seen him run over people. We've seen him run by people. Um, Lots to work with, but, oh, project, right? And then he sat down and he turned the tape on. And he started to look at all the little things. And, yeah, the big arm was there. It was evident. Uh, yeah, the wheels were there and that was evident. His ability to take a hit in the pocket slough it off was very Cam Newton esque, Mm -hmm. right? That that's the type of frame we're talking about here. And so that was all like, okay, check, check, check. That's great. All right. Let's talk about this accuracy thing. Let's talk about pocket presence. Let's talk about managing a pocket in different ways, um, movement within it, when to move out of it. Does he bail from clean pockets? Uh, are these open receivers he's missing? Are these, you know, was he under pressure for those throws? All that sort of nuance. And as you started to weave that particular tapestry together, came up with a very different picture than a project label. You're like, he's a lot farther along in a lot of areas that are difficult, if not impossible to teach. The one that really turned me early in the process was feel within the pocket and his ability to move subtly and still deliver a throw That's a high level skill for a quarterback at any level. And he was much farther along that particular slider than lots of quarterback prospects that I've looked at. And that got kind of washed in with all this Mm -hmm. accuracy and his team wasn't very good and QB wins and all that other garbage. And you're like, this is not a skill you find like this is a, this is a pearl in an oyster along with all these physics, like there's more here to build on. And pretty soon you started to shed that project label. I felt like I was a guy with a, you know, a, exacto knife, like scraping that off the windshield, like mm-mm. he's way closer to solid quarterback prospect, which is still work to do than he was project, which is typically the label that gets applied to lots of physical skills. Doesn't know how to play quarterback. Yeah. He knew how to do a lot of things to play quarterback and he had the skills and I started to get really excited. The more tape I watched, I was able to sort of, I don't want to say explain away, but just explain some of those numbers that people were really worried about and say, I'm less worried about that because of these things over here.
1: People just massively um, misrepresented what his floor is. Mm. And I, I think people were treating him like um, a, a Trey Lance type of project, right? Because Trey Lance didn't play a lot of games in college, and to be perfectly honest, neither did Anthony Richardson. And so people were coming at from that angle of like, mm-hmm. oh, he didn't play a lot. I acknowledge, he didn't play a lot. He was inexperienced. But I still felt while watching him play that he knew, or rather that he was further along already in his limited games than Lance was by the time Lance got to the pros, right? Um, I felt that there were certain things that he did better than uh, say Zach Wilson when Zach Wilson was coming out of BYU because B you know at BYU he was so good out of structure and throwing off platform and the arm talent and everything like that. But like all the in-structure stuff, I thought Anthony Richardson was better, even though he didn't play as many games. So it's just when you're evaluating quarterback, it's it's the hardest thing to do because there's so many different things that go into it. Mm-hmm. And I just I just wish people put more effort into studying the tape of Anthony Richardson actually playing football and not just looking at the box scores because I feel like he would have gotten not not more hype because he he got a lot of hype he was a top five pick but I think he would have gotten more credit for the subtleties to his game if people just watched him play
0: and a lot of it for me being a watcher of the draft and this is a this is rabbit hole is year to year and one of my favorite things to tell people about drafts is they are a snapshot they are a moment in time and people always say well how does that compare to two years ago or five years ago or two years from now what does that i tell them it doesn't matter like i don't spend any time on that because it literally doesn't matter you have an a an assorted number of picks that you have to spend within that time frame, and you have a slate of players. You can't spend them next year unless you trade them away, right? You can't spend them the year before. You have to do it right now. And so a lot of this is relative to the class that you're in, and a lot of it, unfortunately, is relative to the class that came before you. Mm -hmm. And if we look at two players, Anthony Richardson and Malik. oh. And that's malik, a way different conversation right but people thought it was the same because the god position, no. <laughs> right as soon as you dig into the tape you go no these two players are very different they're at very different places in their development they have some similar skills they do not play the game the same way mm-hmm. right malik was much closer to what zach wilson was doing largely out of necessity had many of the same physical skills not all but he was the year before in a down quarterback class and so he was seen as that option and he was a project and that's the way we labeled him
1: and full disclosure i would have taken him in the first round in certain situations where he wouldn't have to play right because i knew he wasn't ready anthony richardson from the start i was like yeah he could play as a rookie so they're they're very different. As soon as
0: you dive in, the differences were readily apparent. But a lot of people want to paint it with the same brush, and because a weak quarterback class preceded this fairly strong quarterback class, there were some very strong options in this quarterback class, and there was some physical similarity. Like the same broad brush label got applied to both. And if you spent five minutes watching tape of those two players, you'd be like, "No, yeah, these are this. These are two completely separate things." But they get sort of conflated because of where they are relative to the previous draft class, where they are relative to previous players, and where they are relative to the strength of their class. So, you know, if there was no, uh, you know, if the top two quarterbacks in this draft weren't in this draft, like Richardson would have been talked about as, I think, a presumptive high, probably first round, first overall pick. Yeah. He would have been one of the most attractive quarterbacks in this class, but there were two other very good options in this one. Again, if he, if Richardson was swapped to a previous year, if he was in the year before, he would have been the first quarterback taken with a bullet with a bullet. Yeah. So it's so
1: he would have gone to Detroit at two.
0: It's so interesting to me how that subtle shift year to year can completely change or sort of cloud our vision of a player based on what happened a year ago, what this class looks like versus that class, even though the picks you have, you have to spend within that year. Um, Very talented player at the bottom line. Yes, it's a rabbit hole. He's a lot farther along than a lot of the pre-draft analysis you may have heard, depending on who you're listening to. If you're a Colts fan, you should be wildly excited that this guy's in the fold.
1: Usually after we do uh, the effectiveness summary part in the in the power score I, I go into like deep schematic stats that kind of explain uh everything you know in terms of how the EPA was the way it was right using scheme stats I don't know if there's going to be super useful, (laughs) not only because the coaching staff is different, but also like we kind of already went through it like, yeah, offensive line was shit. Quarterback couldn't move like scheme kind of goes out the window at that point. Right. Yeah,
0: Offensively, very little, I think, will translate because of the first two things you mentioned. Coaching staff has changed and the quarterback has changed. So you're going to have a wildly different looking slate no matter what defensively more carries over both personnel and coaching wise. So some of those stats are probably going to be pretty relevant.
1: Uh, Offensively, we'll just kind of start there. Um, The only things that I think might stay the same are, uh, you know, still being a heavy inside zone run team. The Colts were third in inside zone overall last year, just kind of going off what Steichen did in Philly. Um, Again, shitload inside zone. I I would imagine – It's going to be a lot of shotgun with Anthony Richardson. Still a lot of inside zone, you know, mixing in some zone reads here and there um, just because you can. And when you're under center, probably taking advantage of the fact that Jonathan Taylor is one of the best running backs in outside zone in the league. And, um, you know, maybe doing outside zone from pistol as well. And and they were 19th in that last year. So I would kind of expect a similar mix um, in the run game. They were also 7th. In duo, they were 19th in power, 26th in counter, 25th in draw. That's going to go up when you have a guy like Richardson, let's be (laughs) honest. Uh, And 20th in pin and pull. But overall, I I would expect the run scheme to look fairly similar to Philadelphia, which was a lot inside zone. Um, And then the passing offense stats, play action. They were 28th last year, which couldn't run the ball. So, yeah, kind of checks out. Uh, that's probably going to go up just because, again, Philly emphasized that uh, a lot more um, because their run game was so good. And, it, you know, the charting on Philly's offense was was kind of wonky because some things uh, were charted as play action. that were RPOs and there were RPOs that were charted as play. A- so, you know, the numbers were kind of skewed, skewed, but like. Overall, they're going to be more than 28th. I'll tell you that much when it comes to play action. Uh, Air yards percentage, they were 18th at 51.7% of their passing yardage coming through the air rather than after the catch. Knowing Steichen's proclivity for simplicity through aggression is how I label it, Hmm. where we are getting vertical because we are turning everything into one-on-ones by default, by getting vertical, because everything's one-on-one when it's 20-plus yards down the field. I would think they're going to make use of Richardson's arm and, uh, you know, the the flashes of deep ball ability that he showed at Florida. Not to mention you have Alec Pierce, you <laughs> have uh, Pittman, you have Downs, you have Jelani, you have a bunch of guys that can get down the field in a, in a hurry there. Uh, so I would imagine we're going to see them really go bombs away compared to last year. Um, and big time throw percentage, they were 31st. That's going to go up, too, because I truly believe in Anthony Richardson's ability to push the ball down the field. So, uh, again, a a lot of these stats in the run game are are going to stay the same in the passing game or rather how their passing game functions should be very different.
0: Yeah, And their average time to throw is 10th fastest. We're going to see that drop. It's a rookie quarterback. Richardson scrambles more. It's a little bit of what I'll call the Justin Fields effect. He's Mm -hmm. going to extend some plays roll to the outside. We've seen him do that very effectively in the games he started at Florida, and he can still launch it from that platform. So Mm -hmm. again, we can see that average depth of target go up. We can see big time throws go up. Uh, We can see air yards go up, but the average time to throw going from a very experienced veteran who knew the offensive line sucked and was trying to save his own skin uh, was pretty quick overall. We're going to see that drop some as Richardson adjusts to the speed of the league and new teammates, new system and everything else, it'll eventually start to climb or shrink back down to a smaller number. But this year,
1: it's definitely going to take longer for him on average to launch those passes. On the defensive side of the ball, with Gus staying uh, in-house as D.C., uh, I would actually expect a lot of these numbers to carry over because it is uh, mostly the same personnel. And obviously, uh, Gus still being there. Really, the, the main thing to look at here is middle field close coverages, meaning a single high safety closing the middle of the field. When you hear coaches say middle field close, that's what they mean. It, you know, the universal signal for middlefield open is this and middle field close is this. <laughs> so uh and, and it's Gus Bradley, right? Going back to Seattle, it's a lot of cover three, a lot of a lot of cover one. They were sixth in the NFL in cover three percentage at 42.4%. They were twelfth In the NFL, in cover one percentage at 22.5%. Add those together, they were running middle field close looks, uh, what is that, 65-ish percent percent of the time? That's a lot. Um, Now, there were other members of the general uh, Dungy, Kiffin, Pete Carroll tree that uh, pair cover three with... Uh, a lot of cover two. Gus is not one of those. Uh, They were 23rd in cover two. And when they do run two high safety looks, it's generally uh, more weighted towards quarters. Uh, They were 13th in the NFL in quarters. So overall, what you can expect Colts fans is still a lot of man coverage, especially with some of the young DBs that they've brought in house. They want to be able to beat people up with size and physicality. A lot of cover three if they if they kind of want to play over the top of stuff. Uh, and then if they do go too high, you're looking at a lot of quarters here.
0: Yeah, and quarters, as we've said, eventually turns into man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Gus Bradley, a strong believer in his system, gets to keep some continuity in his personnel and his system. That's going to help a young quarterback, a defense that knows what it's doing and can hit the ground running. Shouldn't have as many adjustment issues as if, again, wholesale the coaching staff got moved and they had those inevitable adjustments between personnel and scheme that happened. On on half the side of the ball here, some stability, which is good news. They should play what I would call fast on defense pretty quickly early in the season. That should keep the Colts in some of these games and allow Anthony Richardson some additional shots. Um to use those big talents and, and take big shots down the field for them to get chunk plays. It's a good thing. It's a it's another reason this particular landing spot for Richardson is a good one.
1: Why don't we zoom in uh, on the coaching staff that is tasked with developing Richardson and really the, the power structure as a whole. Chris Ballard's back for year 70. seven yep. uh, as general manager. So he's been there uh, for a minute now, actually. Mm-hmm. One of the Probably one of the longer-tenured GMs in the league now that I think about it at this point, which it feels like he just got hired, so no. I feel old. <laughs> um, but under him, there's a lot of familiar names on this coaching staff, Gus Bradley included. Yeah, Ballard I want to talk about for just a
0: second because he finally took the swing. We talked a lot about Anthony Richardson, the player. I want to talk about what he represents for Indianapolis because Indianapolis, the strategy ever since they were surprised by Andrew Luck's retirement has been – sort of find a way at quarterback, buy a guy, see if he works. Is there one more year left? There was, you know, there's Phillip Rivers and there's Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan. They just continually sort of kick the can down the road. And even even a couple of years ago, you and I were like, they're going to have to take a swing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to have to take a swing. And taking a swing as a GM in the NFL is incredibly scary because if you miss, you're fired. That's it. If you've been around for – five or six years, and you take a swing and you miss, you're pretty much fired.
1: But if you hit, you have a job for 15 years. You get 10 (laughs) years of job
0: security if you hit on a young quarterback and they keep you relevant and successful in the NFL. So a lot of GMs are hesitant to do it, and they'll do the other thing, which is build a very solid team and try and plug somebody in to get them over the hump. That's what Ballard's been doing. And to his credit, this year, either he said or it got said to him, We're doing it. We're taking the swing. We're done. We're going to do the young quarterback thing. And we both think he took a good one. We talk a lot about the player, but I'm glad that Ballard made that change of course. Some GMs won't. That ends up being their demise. He's smart enough to realize, hey, I'm probably going either way. This is my chance to stay. If Mm -hmm. I pick one and hit, that's my golden ticket. If I pick one and miss, the result's going to be the same because we're not getting anywhere the mercenary route. So... I hope it hits for him. He seems like a solid guy. Uh, One shout out to the Colts organization. All the inside the draft stuff that they release, which is probably some of the best in the league. Uh, The deepest, most informative. I'd say they share the most from that process. They don't treat it like state secrets after the draft. Thank you, Indianapolis, for treating us like adults. We really appreciate it. It's really cool that you share that information. Shane Steichen comes over from Philly. I I think a natural... Connection is his work with Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. right? How quickly he got him up to speed, similar type of quarterback in terms of skills. Um, and hope, Herbert, too. Yeah. The hope is he can get them up to speed really quickly because of those experiences. And and I don't think that's a bad bet to take. So if you're replacing a guy like Frank Reich, who felt like he'd kind of run the string out with the old system and goes and finds a nice new spot in Carolina. Steichen feels like a good swing. Coordinators, you mentioned Jim Bob Cooter. We were talking about this, that the the power structure of Steichen with that resume coming in, Jim Bob Cooter's experience on offense, Gus Bradley's experience on defense. That's a pretty good starting three for a rookie quarterback to come into, not to mention all the roster stuff we've talked about and how solid that roster is overall. Um Brian Mason's the special teams coach there. He was Notre Dame's special teams coordinator last year, so this is his jump to the big show. We'll see how he does. Um, Overall, at the top, I feel really strong about this coaching staff. The roster just makes it that much better.
1: Also have some uh, both legacy coaches and also prominent former players on this staff. you got Tony Sperano Jr. uh, on the offensive line there, 12 seasons coaching in the NFL. Uh, He was an assistant with the Giants last year. And Reggie Wayne, year two coaching these receivers. And by God, he's got a good group to coach.
0: He's got a great group to coach. Obviously has a very strong legacy with the organization. Um, Helped Alec Pierce to a very good rookie season. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about Alec Pierce. Anthony Richardson is the other but he showed real signs of life down the stretch last year that, again, got lost in a last season. A lot of people. And look, we don't blame you for turning off Indianapolis games in the <laughs> second half of last season. We did a little bit of that, too. But if you dive into Alex's Pierce, Alex Pierce's growth throughout the second half of his rookie season, there's some there's some bright spots in there that indicate, oh, yeah. The talent we thought was there with him coming out of Cincinnati is indeed there and can be leveraged with a quarterback with a bigger arm. There's reasons to be excited. Reggie Wayne's going to be a key to that process. Uh, 14 seasons as a Colt wide receiver for Reggie. Played in 211 games, which is a record the most in franchise history, which for, wait, more than more than think of all the Colts legends, that's what stuck with me when I read that stat. I was like, there have been so many Hall of Fame players for the Colts.
1: How many years, was, how many games did Peyton play? Okay, so Peyton was out in 2011, that's what led to them getting luck. So, 2010 to was it 98? Yeah, wow, Holy it's a staggering shit.
0: stat when you go back to like. I'm gonna date myself terribly here and no, I was not alive when he was playing, but Gino Marchetti and like all the Coles legends from, from Baltimore before they moved. Like literally, Reggie Wayne is the guy, he's the franchise leader in games played. That's wild. I know. Staggering stat. Just one of the fun things, and another great reason we do this coaches segment. Uh for defensive special teams, Mike Mitchell is an assistant DB coach, his second season in the role. Played 10 years himself as a DB in the league, including his last year with the Colts. So again, those forging relationships with an organization and then them having you in as a young coach. It's how you can start the sort of second phase of your career as a coach. And then Cato June, another former Colt, uh, is an assistant linebackers coach. He, too, is in his second season in the role. Coached collegially at Bowling Green before coming to the Colts.
1: He was a six-year player as an NFL linebacker and won a Super Bowl in 06 with the Colts. Uh, Jim Irsay really does love hiring former Colts players to be coached. I mean, last year, Jeff Saturday, like yep. if you played for the Colts, you got a pretty good odds coaching for the Colts, too. It's pretty
0: similar to Pete Carroll and his approach to Seahawks alumni in the coaching role. We already talked about that in the NFC West episodes. Um, very similar setup sort of occurring right now in Indianapolis.
1: Now, we've danced around it uh, <laughs> Quite a bit. You know, we've we've talked about Anthony Richardson in depth. We've mentioned the receiving core. We've mentioned Jonathan Taylor. We've talked about how talented we think this offense is. I do not believe uh, that the rest of uh, the football-watching world has maybe caught on to that yet. Because Mm. looking at some of the fantasy values in Indianapolis this year. I mean, Jonathan Taylor's appropriately priced. He's at RB5. We kind of expect that. Everybody knows Jonathan Taylor's good. Um, but Michael Pittman, wide receiver 33. Alec Pierce, wide receiver 66 on underdog right now. Josh Downs, wide receiver 90. You know, Jelani Woods, tight end 32 for Jelani Woods. I think people... uh are vastly underestimating what this passing game is going to be. Anthony Richardson. Last time I checked, um, you know his season-long pickem. Like, because on underdog right now, you can choose higher or lower. Right. You know, put down like twenty bucks on. Oh, do you think this person's going to get x number of yards or more during the season? Anthony Richardson's is set at three thousand passing yards. Three thousand. Three K flat, huh? That's what, like a hundred. 75 a game or something like that like I'll do the math yeah. on that but it's not a lot no and he's got a ton of weapons and likely an improved offensive line compared to what the Colts were deal, dealing with last year and like we said he's a better quarterback than people think he is and 3, he's gonna be
0: thousand and he's gonna be playing from behind
1: so I mean if you're just is talking about though? yards
0: I you know <laughs> he is absolutely is a rookie quarterback he is but you know yards in that particular stat don't discriminate. They don't care if it's garbage time yards or regular yards. And there will be fourth quarters where they're
1: like, all right, Richardson, turn it loose. Oh my God. It's even lower now. What? 2725. I'm in California. I can bet on that. We're doing that tonight. I'm in California. I can put money on that. How many yards a game is that? Hold on. Let me do the math on that. I'm sorry, folks, but this 17 is, game season. This is stupid. Hold on. And, and keep in mind, like, I'm not calling underdogs stupid. I'm just saying, like, that's what the market is. Like, that's how the market is priced. I'm surprised it's dropped 160 yards a game. If you think that Anthony Richardson is getting more than 160 yards a game, you put 20 bucks on that right now, because that is dumb value. And if you really believe it and believe in us,
0: use code bootleg. Up to 100 bucks, they'll double your money. You could put 20 of your own and 20 of underdogs' money on it, and you would be uh, probably
1: a happy camper. We'll Uh, see. I need to send a message to
0: Nick and ask, like, why that? (laughs) How how
1: is that 2,700 yards?
0: Yeah, is a lot of talent to throw to. He has an offensively minded head coach who understands how to employ a mobile quarterback quickly. Yeah, if you look at, Jalen Hurts, you know, first year under Shane Steichen as the roughest corollary you can. There, there weren't a ton of passing yards. It certainly wasn't the Eagles we saw last year. Um, but seems low because he they will have fourth quarters where they just turn him loose. They're like, well, we're down by 10 in the fourth. Like, you know, we're not going to run Jonathan Taylor to try and make that up. Like, let's go. And
1: what's, what's wild, though, is in best ball drafts, he's going as QB 11 but his projected passing yards is 20.
0: They're leaning on his legs way too hard. Way too much. No, he's going to make a large percentage of his yards through the air. And when we talk about, you talked about Jelani Woods in that receiver group, you know, he's a tight end, but the pass catchers group, I should say, look, touchdowns are king. We've talked about this. When you're playing best ball, touchdowns are king. Jelani Woods is a red zone threat. He's going to score touchdowns. So even if he only has... 30 or 40 yards receiving in a game, he could have two touchdowns on five catches. He had it a couple of times last year. So, like, he seems undervalued. Uh, Pittman, I'm tabbing. He's one of my guys is having a huge bounce back season. He, his value was really suppressed. I think he's a much better player fundamentally. Um, our buddy Matt Harmon, who does reception perception, has said, you know, the reason for Pittman's slide last year was not Pittman, Mm -hmm. right? If you want to bet on a guy to come back in a better offensive system with a better thrower of the football, distributing it to him, like Pittman is a, he has alpha numbers in terms of his success versus both man and zone coverage. Pittman is a very good place to, Uh, align your focus for value. And I think Pierce, he's going to have those peaks. If you're looking for those peaks in best ball, he'll have games where he has 60 yards receiving. And then he will have games where he has 140 yards receiving and a touchdown. And he will have several of those. He is a very good down the field, deep ball, sideline, contested ball catcher, former high jumper, multi-sport athlete. I think he was a Glenbard West guy coming out of Chicago, like was just one of those guys that was good at every sport he tried. Mm -hmm. And Richardson is going to have a few of those where he's under a rush and he just chucks it up. The old Alec Pierce is down there somewhere. And Pierce is going to turn half of those over. So both for Richardson's yards and Pierce's totals, they both feel a little undervalued.
1: It's very much a a DK Metcalf type of receiver you know huge fast explosive gets up to speed quickly there will be some games where you know it just doesn't go his way uh and and, and like you said it'll get 40 yards and then there's going to be the dk games where there is nothing your corner can do to keep up with him, and Gino, or in this case richardson is dropping bombs and you just gotta tip your cap because they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger than you. Like that's that's honestly how Ballard has built this team. Like, you can't be a Colt unless your RAS is like nine, eight or higher <laughs> at this point. It is a bunch of freak athletes. Yeah. He's gonna have five catches for 120 yards and two scores in the first half.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I go that far, but he will have those games with really high peaks. So I think there's value and what we're saying in general is there's value outside of Jonathan Taylor pretty much all the way down. Yeah. The Colts lineup of starters, like both their number one and number two wide receiver, their starting quarterback, their number one tight end, Like those are all players you can get whose value feels a little bit low for where they're ranked right now. Yeah,
1: um, and again, just to recap the other uh, season-long season long you know, pick'ems that you can do. Pittman's receiving touchdowns is at four and Pierce's receiving yards is at five fifty. So if you have literally any confidence in the Colts passing game this year, uh beyond best ball mania, like you'll you'll probably you'll probably get your nut from from the season long pick'ems just because I think this passing game is wildly undervalued. Uh, again, promo code bootleg over underdog fantasy. If you happen to be a fantasy player yourself, or somebody who enjoys pickems yourself, and you want to try them on underdog this year, uh, they'll match your deposit up to hundred. And uh, you know, any deposits you make on underdog directly help this show because uh, they're our our biggest sponsor, and they're they're keeping us going, and they're making this show possible in the first place. Heck, so, they're putting the shirt on our back, literally and figuratively. Yes. <laughs> So thank you to Underdog for sponsoring. And uh, with that, EJ, let's get to free agency. There were losses for sure. Some of these, I think,
0: were ones that felt, quote unquote, planned. And some of them were like, we'll keep them if the
1: price is right.
0: And the price wasn't right for the Colts, so they moved on. Good players. uh, Certainly their new teams are happy to have them. Brandon Faison goes from the Colts back to the Raiders. Uh, Bobby Okereke goes to the Giants. Paris Campbell also goes to the Giants. Stephon Gilmore, who never really felt like he meshed with the Colts, although I felt like he was a good schematic fit, um, gets a nice deal with the Cowboys. Uh, Rodney McLeod, the safety, moves on to the Browns. He was responsible for 90% of their snaps in the secondary. Matt Pryor, their left tackle. Uh, moves on to the 49ers. He was, again, a 50% snap guy for them. Yannick Ngakwe, who's the ultimate sort of mercenary at edge and seems mm. to play for a different team every year, um, still currently unsigned, but played 64% of their snaps, so more than a rotational edge. Give it a few edge.
1: weeks. They'll bring him back.
0: They'll bring him back, <laughs> or he'll be a bear. He'll be somewhere before camp starts for sure. And then the aforementioned
1: Matt Ryan, they bite the bullet. He moves on as well. The total uh, dead money that the Colts are carrying right now is $24,899,101, uh, $18 million of that being Matt Ryan, uh, about $3 million of it still being from Naheem Hines, uh, another $2 million from Stefan Gilmore, and $1.5 million from good old Nick Foles. So it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of dead money, uh, certainly not the most in the league, but definitely more than any team wants to be carrying Um, their rather sizable draft class uh, was necessary in order to try to get an infusion of cheap talent because they're carrying so much dead money, but they, they had to do it. They really had no other choice, um, you know, and, and all things considered, I mean, 18 million to, to jettison a quarterback that was just not going to work. It's, I don't want to say it's a small price to pay. It's not a small small price to pay, but it was a necessary price.
0: And I feel like necessary is the key word there. And we saw Ryan Poles do it in Chicago the year before with a bunch of other veterans. We're going to take the hit right now because as an organization, we need to move on sort of mentally from this to start the Anthony Richardson era with Matt Ryan just kind of hanging around. Doesn't work. So it is, it is a high price to pay,
1: but necessary feels like the right word. In terms of who they re-signed, uh, there, there was honestly a lot of guys that I was hoping they brought back, but none more so than EJ Speed. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the EJ, podcast. EJ Speed. <laughs> There's not very many of you, but yeah. he's one of them. On, on name alone. <laughs> uh, they got him for $4 million, which as a – he can play both Sam and Mike for them. Generally, he's going to be playing Sam. Um, but as far as like third linebackers go in the NFL, who can also be a number two, very few, in my opinion, are better than EJ Speed is somebody who, you know, if you're playing a lot of base, he's on the field for you. If you sustain an injury, he's one of your two. If you're in a four-two-five nickel and you're not missing a beat, um, he's long, he gets off blocks, he's instinctive, uh, great tackler in space love EJ speed. And in this current linebacker market, getting him for 4 million as somebody who can play either inside or outside for you and not miss a beat. Great, great deal for them.
0: Feels a little bit to me like, uh, Al Shair.
1: Oh yeah. hundred percent who
0: they were not able to retain who the 49ers were not able to retain and, and went and got himself a a starting job in free agency, so good for him. Also earned, I think, a little bit more money. I forget the contract, but the Colts on the flip side were able to retain that guy, keep him in their defense. Uh, Gus Bradley, I'm sure, had some say in that. You know, coaches always, oh, my God. But, you know, they make it a priority. He stays, and that, again, gives them great depth in that linebacking core moving forward.
1: They also, in terms of third-party additions, uh, did get a little infusion of talent from outside the organization. Not super spendy because again they're trying to get <laughs> cheaper and younger generally. But they did toss eight million at Samson uh, who has always been a very efficient rusher, and I thought eight million was a perfectly reasonable deal for him. You know, somebody who's probably going to play forty to fifty percent of the snaps for you. Uh, you know, a key part of that rotation. Um, Isaiah McKenzie, they got for 1.2. I don't know if he's gonna be like the main number three, but if we're going four wide, I'm not gonna say no to Isaiah McKenzie being on the field in the slot and giving me some speed. Um, so and against 1.2 million, who cares, right? Uh Gardner Minshew, three and a half million, brought him over from the Eagles, you know, somebody who can help anthony richardson um you know get acclimated my only theory for why the season long numbers for anthony richardson are low is because people think that gardner is going to be playing i i don't get that vibe like i think that gardner's gardner's the backup gardner is If knock on wood, you know Anthony goes down, Gardner can come in and he's somebody who knows the system and you know is willing to chuck it deep and do all the Shane Steichen things that Steichen likes to do. Um, But I I do not get the sense that Gardner's coming out there in week one. I think at three and a half million, it is very clearly like you are the veteran backup, veteran backup. Excuse me, you're helping Richardson get ready. That's what you are.
0: Minshew feels like the in case of emergency break glass option to me at quarterback. Yeah. If he plays significant snaps during this season, <laughs> I feel like it's a failure. Yeah. I feel like something's gone wrong. And that would either be an injury, which, you know, Richardson can't control, or if they really truly feel like throwing him out there week one is going to be detrimental to him and he's just going to take a ton of sacks and he's not going to be able to complete a bunch of passes because he doesn't have that grasp yet of the speed or, you know, the offense or, or just some of the basic concepts that they want him to to master before he's really leading this offense and having a secure footing. I'm fine with Gardner Minshew for a week, two weeks, tops a month, four games. At that point, see what you've got in Richardson unless he's truly not ready. He's either physically or mentally. But I would love – my best case scenario is Richardson's chomping at the bit to play. He is the week one starter. He gets a full season of work, takes all of his lumps, understands the difference in speed, you know, win some, lose some, shows some great flashes, shows some real mental lapses, gets all that rookie quarterback stuff under the bridge and flushed. And then we're looking at all the development that's going to come from that week to week. If we're seeing Gardner Minshew for long stretches, like something's gone wrong.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that would be, That would be the red flag, right? And kind of similar red flag of like what we saw in San Francisco with Trey Lance, where we're like, "When's he going to get on the field?" Now's the time. Now's the time. (laughs) And 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 it just kind of it kept not happening. We're like, "Uh, "Something's going wrong here." Uh, And then, of course, something went very wrong there. Um, But I I don't think that that's going to happen with Anthony Richardson because I thought that Richardson was a better prospect than Lance, and for all the reasons that we talked about earlier. But. I I do hope that we see him sooner rather than later. Yeah, McKenzie, to me,
0: coming over from the Bills, feels very much like a target you hang up in front of a rookie to hit. Yeah. So right now, I think he's wide receiver three, and the big emphasis on right now. And they drafted a guy we're going to talk about when we get to the draft who really I think that's the carrot on the stick, to hang out in front of your draft pick and say, Isaiah McKenzie's a starter because he's an established veteran. Go get him.
1: Well, why don't we take the opportunity to transition to the draft and just finally talk about Josh Downs? Because I know you've been itching to do it this entire show. Uh, He was one of our favorite picks in this class for them. And that's saying a lot because there was a lot of dudes in this class that we really, really loved, both on offense and defense. They got DBs we love. They got weapons we love. We got the quarterback that we love. They got some developmental offensive linemen that are freaks of nature multiple guys that are like nine nine or higher RAS like this was a freakishly talented draft class that if half of them hit will completely transform this organization easily there's so many
0: guys to love in this draft class nine their first nine picks I like every one of them mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not the end of it they have three more picks after that it's about a 12 picks literally going nine for nine I mean going yep I like those guys in the role and the place they're picked. we'll talk through all of them big breath this is a transformative class like you said even if 50% of them hit. I mean honestly it's going to be judged by whether or not Richardson hits but there are very few classes where your highly drafted rookie quarterback may not hit and you could still lay the foundation for a very successful team with the rest of this draft. that's a rarity. It is not common in the NFL. We both believe in Anthony Richardson. Round one, pick four is where they eventually get him. We've talked a lot about him. We'll skip on to round two, pick 44. The cornerback, Julius Brentside of Kansas State, big guy. This was the sort of Tariq Woolen comp, right? Big athletic 6'2", 6'3", corner who can, who can move. Not like Woolen, he's not that fast, but was really aggressive. Super long, length is in vogue, especially for Gus Bradley. I think that's maybe why he went a little bit earlier than some folks were predicting. Um, I think he's a great fit for this defense. I'm super excited for it. Round three, pick 79, the aforementioned Josh Downs from North Carolina, one of my offensive gems from this year. Highly productive wide receiver over the past two seasons. This is not in any way a flash in the pan. Tremendous contested
1: catch rate, even though he's, what, 5'9"? Yeah, Um, it was one of the highest in this class, and he was also one of the smallest receivers in this class. Doesn't really matter if you can jump out the gym and have great ball skills. Yeah, we'll throw you a fade. There's a lot of want to
0: there. Great release skills, good speed, tremendous quickness. That played out in his three cone at the combine. Again, tape matching what we saw in testing. Really excited for Josh Downs. I think sooner rather than later, he'll be the true wide receiver three on this team, and they'll be better for it. Round four, pick 106. They get Blake Freeland, the tackle out of BYU. You want to talk about athletic freaks? <laughs> this guy is crazy tester in terms of an athlete at his size. Has I feel like he's a little bit like Richardson in his development curve. A lot of people were like, oh, he's just an athlete. He's just that. He's more developed than people think. His pass protection is pretty good. His run protection or run blocking needs some work,
1: but... Basically unlimited physical potential. He's not all the way there, but if he gets all the way there, it's like Andrew Whitworth type potential. Now, Andrew Whitworth is a Hall of Famer. I'm not saying he will be, but I'm saying if he gets there, that's literally his ceiling is, is that. <laughs> and that's about as high a ceiling as you can get.
0: To me, it feels like you drafted Colton Miller after 1.5 years in the NFL. Like, that's where he is on his development curve, and that's the kind of athleticism we're
1: talking about. And what's crazy is, like, they don't even really need him to play right now because, again, Ryman progressed very nicely towards the end of last year. They already have a right tackle we like. Like, he is a developmental swing that doesn't have to get on the field, which is probably best-case scenario for him. So he can learn some shit just being on the bench and, you know, probably getting beat up in practice. But, again, it's good lessons for him.
0: Yeah, staying with the theme of physical marvels, round four, pick 110, Edge, out of Tamiwa, out of Boire, out of Northwestern. This guy tested insanely. The only people, the only person I think that he was compared to generally in the draft was Kalaji Kansi in terms Mm -hmm. of a little bit smaller, freakishly athletic, even more athletic than Kansi in terms of his pure testing numbers, Um, incredibly smart player, uh, incredibly good person, grew up in the Kansas City area. So when we were hanging out with the KCSN guys, they were talking about all of his high school exploits. Um, Has like unlimited ceiling, has a lot to learn, is not a complete player yet. But as a rotational guy in a Bradley
1: defense, yes, please. He is one of the few uh, defensive line prospects. And keep in mind, I I didn't see him as a pure Three technique, like a lot of other people did. Um, I saw him as a six technique that could rush the passer from the inside. But early downs, I kind of want him more playing over a tight end than I do over a guard. But as an interior pass rusher, he's one of the few guys that I've ever seen that when he's throwing a cross chop, the amount of space that he clears in that one step and the ability to just sidestep a guard and damn near teleport around a guard. It's one of the only guys that's similar to Aaron Donald. He is not Aaron Donald. I want to make that clear. But physically, he's one of the only people besides Aaron Donald that I've seen do that. And I swear to God, they probably drafted him just for that alone, because they're like, if he can do that already, I can teach him to do the other stuff. Right. He has he I, he might have led
0: the class in unteachable traits, mm-hmm. and they can do a lot with that. Uh, round five, pick 138. Cornerback Darius Rush, who I think a lot of people thought was, was going to go in a very similar range to Julius Brent's mm-hmm. and ends up going three full rounds later big physical cornerback out of south carolina had a very good senior bowl week really jumped up a lot of people's boards there um and is a good fit i think for all the man that bradley wants to play all the pressure on the outside he wants to present with quarterbacks it's a very natural fit for darius rush round 5 20 picks later 158 they get safety daniel scott who is a player i was extremely pumped about i'm still extremely pumped about but was injured, uh is not gonna play this year. Um oh, is it season ending? I believe he's already on oh, IR. Man. Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah. Just smart player, very, very athletic, um, has great range, made a bunch of really good plays against Pac-12 opponents. He came out of Cal. Um, oh,
1: it's ACL. Shit. Yeah.
0: He is he is done. He is gonna he is gonna bring his talents to year two next year was really excited thought he was a tremendous value as far down as they got him really versatile in safety packages if anything was going to allow gus bradley to play a little bit more to eye safety daniel scott could yeah. certainly figure into that um not going to be a factor this year but great player um looking forward to what he can bring next year uh just four picks later 162 they take tight end will mallory out of miami who is One of those players who's more effective than he
1: looks. (laughs) Yeah, he, uh, God, how do I say this the nice way? I just say he runs funny. He doesn't look like he should be as open as he gets,
0: (laughs) right? (laughs) I I would say that he looks like he's running with a large backpack on a lot of the time. But still is outrunning people is still effective, good size, ability to win uh, in space or contested catch situations. Not the most fluid uh, or agile player, but wins a lot. And I think even more so than his draft status here, I would have picked him eh, probably fourth, only a round earlier than he ended up getting picked. But he was largely overlooked, again, because this is a very talented and deep tight end class. He kind of got lost in the wash there and it seems an unlikely landing spot for him just because indianapolis already has a great and deep tight end room i think they got to round five and went what the hell we We like like him he's still on the board i don't care that that gives us in this case seven tight ends on the roster but you know they just grabbed him because they liked him just a few picks later at 176 they get evan Hall out of northwestern who I think is a very good two-way player running back in terms of running and passing. He's not going to wow you necessarily in either, but he is effective at both, which makes him, in my mind, sort of an ideal third down player. Yeah, he's going to be a
1: third down back for them. Third,
0: fourth running back, and to get that in round five, I'm completely fine with it. That's my first nine. I am like solid with every one of those, and that is really rare to have that many picks and just... I think Ballard and I kind of think alike because there's no way that that's just random. That I like all those players and I like all those fits. Um, nine for nine is a hell of a string. Round six, pick two eleven. They get edge Titus Leo out of Wagner. This is where you're really starting to throw darts for athletic marvels, guys. You think you can develop who have some again unteachable traits. Round six, pick two twenty one. They get cornerback Jalen Jones out of Texas A and M. Again. Fits their profile for like how they like them built.
1: Rock them, sock them, corners on the outside,
0: yep. and make them big while you're at it. Round seven, two thirty-six. They get offensive tackle Jake Witt out of Northern Michigan, who oh. is one of <laughs> one of the more interesting sort of RAS and testing stories in the entire draft.
1: Copy and paste a lot of what we said about Blake Freeland, and just and put it with Jake Witt. Like at a he's much smaller school, <laughs> another redwood tree of a human being that has unnatural movement skills for how big he is. Um, you know, he's not as far along as Freeland, and to be perfectly honest, I think Freeland's not that far along. Like he he also has a lot, mm-hmm. a long way to go. But for a seventh round pick that we're probably putting on the practice squad and just figuring it out, you know, (laughs) gobs of potential. If we're just throwing darts, yeah, yeah, throw darts at him. You're not going to miss. He's so freaking big. Yeah.
0: You take tackles with, you know, 36 inch arms. You take corners that can run for three, but lack a little size, like lower rounds are just, Hey, what do we think we could do with this guy? And Jake Witt's one of those guys.
1: Uh, In terms of UDFAs, they did have a pretty sizable UDFA class as well. Um, The only one that, might make the roster is uh the alabama guard you know i never got a pronunciation check from cats and i probably should have texted him before i did this podcast is it Echior? it is okay Email emil Echior. yep again we watch uh the all 22 for these guys we typically don't watch broadcasts, so we <laughs> never get to hear how their name is said but um i thought he was a draftable player as a again a swing guard maybe like that's what he'll be in his career but for a But, you know, somebody I thought could have gone in like the sixth or seventh round, get him as UDFA. That was good.
0: Yeah, came out of a big program, had a good senior bowl, opened a bunch of people's eyes there. A lot of people were thinking, hey, he's got guard center flexibility. Those types of players tend to go fifth round or later, but they tend to go, especially when they have his physical profile and they come with a pedigree of playing at Alabama, have positional flexibility, would have thought he would have been drafted. But again, we don't know about medical off the field, anything like that. It's a valuable player they pick up in a pretty sizable UDFA hall, but he was the only one that really stuck out to me as sort of notable.
1: That brings us finally to our last two segments. We have the report card, and we have the uh, ceiling and floor in wins report card. If you're new here, that is where we have four categories, front office, coaching staff, offensive talent, and defensive talent. And we basically give them a grade for... Uh, where we feel like they're at uh, relative to last season, you know, is there improvement? Uh, are they going down, or the third option is even, and that's neither negative nor positive. It's neutral, just even keel, treading water. You know, we're we're carrying that over from last year to this year in terms of like our our total vibes or impressions on these vibes. Years. This is a vibe meter. That's hundred percent vibes based podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, All right. Front office. Up, I would say, Uh, you know, Chris Ballard, in terms of swallowing the tough pill, uh, jettison contracts that he needed to jettison, having a draft that we're very excited about. um, Retaining EJ Speed was a big one for me. He didn't he didn't resign everybody that I wanted him to resign. um, But overall, I would say that he had the exact offseason that he needed to have to potentially uh, jumpstart this franchise again.
0: He was realistic. He took the swing. For me, it really starts and ends there. We talked about how deep the draft was. Yes, we'll see how good it is three years from now. He took the swing. We have been hammering on Chris Ballard for two years to take the swing. The Colts needed to take the swing. They needed to bite the bullet. They needed to move on if they were going to progress as a franchise. He took the swing. We'll see if it's a good one. We think it is. I'm just glad he did it. That is a realistic approach that a lot of GMs this late in the tenure, this long in the tooth, sort of won't take. They'll be like, nope, I, I swear this will work. We can get it done. We're going to kick the can down the road one more time. Ballard stood back and went, no, we're not. We're done with it. We're not only going to just in the contract, we're going to take the big swing. For me, that's enough for an up arrow right there.
1: Coaching, uh, this is going to be a bit different than a lot of franchises that that we've been talking about in this series where they get a new new head coach or a new Mm -hmm. OC or anything like that, and we're like, this is an improvement. We like Steichen, but I also really did like Frank Reich. Yep. (laughs) And so I think going from Frank Reich to Steichen in a good way is a lateral move. And I understand the reasons why Reich was let go. I, I understand the frustration that Colts fans had with him. But he is a good coach. Mm-hmm. And I also think that Steichen is a good coach. So you're going from good coach to good coach. That's even in a good way. Not yeah. to mention there's carryover in terms of defensive coordinator. So, again, <laughs> I, I'd say we're in the same spot this year that we were last year. Yeah. And I mean that positively.
0: Yeah, Two-thirds matches up. Fairly favorably, you know, good coach to good coach, and one-third
1: is the same coach. Yeah. It's the definition of neutral. Uh, Offensive talent overall, you could argue up here because of the addition of Josh Downs, uh, you know, the addition of Anthony Richardson, but until we know that Anthony Richardson's the guy, it's tough to, like, definitively say, yes, the offensive talent here is better. Um, and and that's where I kind of want to have a little bit of nuance here. I think their results will be a lot better than they were last year, just because of the different skill sets that we have. But is this team significantly more talented on offense than they were last year? Probably not. And again, this is a team that last year we thought could have won 12 games, and I still think they could win double-digit games Spoiler alert. We'll yep. get there. And so I, I don't want Colts fans to feel like I'm saying like, oh, they haven't improved. Right. They will improve. But I think that giving a an even grade for offensive talent is an acknowledgement that they had a lot of talent last year that didn't work out yeah. for some very specific reasons. Those reasons have now been fixed. So the talent that they already had will shine through better in 2023. Yeah, it
0: feels like the best advice here is go back and last watch last year's episode for the Colts and see how excited we were at that point mm-hmm. and carry that over. That's the, the neutral that we're carrying over. A lot of Colts fans have a terrible taste in their mouth, rightfully so, after last year. We get it. Uh, we're not saying they're going to be the same in result. We'll get to result in a minute. What we're saying is they had a very talented core. They still have a very talented core. If we were just purely going off like long-term hope, That would be an up arrow. You've got an exciting young quarterback. You've got a very strong offensive core. We hope that they stay healthy. And if they do, they are going to produce more wins this year. Neutral does not count wins here. But in terms of overall talent, even with the addition of an exciting young, unproven quarterback, it's not enough to tip the arrow to up quite yet.
1: For defense, could I convince you to make that one an up? You know, with the addition of Samson, have you, Cam? with the addition of some of the young DBs that we really like? Could I convince you to have that one be an up instead of an even?
0: Oh, I'm I'm going to go even for all the same reasons we just said, but I think it's going to be a more exciting even. And again, if we're going off hope for the future in terms of just the draft class, we talked about that infusion of youth. And we've talked about this with some of the other teams, even in this division, that The second line is much better, right? We don't know how much those young guys are going to contribute in year one. But if there are injuries and they're forced into service, we feel a lot better about a lot of them um, than we did about this defense necessarily last year. Again, the front line is largely unchanged, either from free agency or the draft. In fact, the only rookie starter is probably going to be Juju Brents. Yeah, I would say so. So.
1: Generally, that's the same lineup, which to me leans for neutral. But like, I mean, I mean you're swapping out, um, you're, you're swapping out Ebucam uh, instead of Yannick. But like other than that, it's like, I mean, Gilmore's not there anymore, which is where Brent slides in. But other than that, it's like seven of the same guys, right? So yeah, you're know. talking about feels
0: like very straight across. But the second line is better in terms of much deeper in reserves and overall hope for the future. They invested a lot of picks in young, exciting defensive players. So I'm with you. That needle is is teetering towards up. I'm going to stick towards neutral. We'll see where the editors put it.
1: <laughs> they make the decision. That's right. <laughs> We're Around just going to pass <laughs> it off to them. It's late. They can do some work here. Um, ceiling and floor. Again, I, I teased it that my ceiling for them was double-digit wins. And I also, when we did the Texans episode, I, I, I put the Texans ceiling at 10. Because I think the Texans have a very underrated roster and a more talented roster than, than people think. Not guaranteeing they're going to win 10 games, but I, I could see a reality where that happens. They'll probably land somewhere around 8 in Houston. The Colts also, realistically, will probably land somewhere around 8 or 9. But I do envision a world where if Anthony Richardson is what I think he is, or rather what he will be, and he hits the ground running and the offensive line is improved like I think it will be, and the weapons stay healthy, and the defense is rocking and rolling, my ceiling for them is 11, and they are firmly in the mix for the AFC wild card. Hmm. I, I truly do think that this team is that talented. I think they're a little bit more talented than Houston. I think that they will give Jacksonville a run for their money, Um and they will not go quietly into the night like this is not going to be a team that gets stomped on the regular even though most of the starting lineups are roughly the same the key problems are better hmm. and i think that those key problems are are really the difference or rather improving those key problems are are really the difference between you know, maybe losing by 12 and winning by three sometimes. It, it really <laughs> is uh, a knife's edge in the NFL, and their knife is a lot sharper this year. Um, my floor for them, and this is if everybody gets hurt again, mm. you know, if – if Pittman's dealing with injury and Pierce is going down and the offensive line, you know, if Ryman goes down and we're starting a rookie left tackle, that's still not all the way ready yet. in break Blake Freeland. Um, and you know, if, if the right guard spot is a mess again and Richardson has to run for his life and all that stuff that we don't want to see happen. Right. <laughs> but if all of that goes wrong, I still think that their record as a floor is better than what their record was last year I, I put it at six So even worst case scenario they're like bottom of mid pack best case scenario this is a playoff team.
0: I'll start with the floor you and I are close you said six I'll say five still better than their record last year. I just feel like the perfect storm of what happened to them last year is highly unlikely to happen. Again, to them this year, I'll give them one more win as their absolute bottom. Even if all the same things go wrong, I still think they win one more game. Um, Their ceiling, we're a little bit different. You're at 11. I'm at nine, and it's because two of the most important positions in the organization, head coach and quarterback, are new. Mm -hmm. And Steichen is really good at his job. It's why he got a head coach swing early. He's a very young candidate. I think he'll be very good as a head coach and maybe even quickly, maybe even as quickly as his previous boss, Nick Sirianni, who I think ascended to heights much more quickly than a lot of us expected. I think Steichen could follow a very similar path, but even in his first year, Sirianni had stumbles
1: that rookie
0: head coaches have. Right? You're going to blow a couple games on game management. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to be focusing on something that you shouldn't have, that you're going to learn a lesson on, and that you won't focus on again the next year. Right, You're not going to give that game away next year. There's going to be a couple of those games for the coach and for the quarterback. Right, Hey, you made the wrong read under pressure. Don't do that again. He's going to learn those lessons as we go. I want him to learn those lessons, and he needs to. All rookie quarterbacks do. Sometimes those are going to line up, They're going to lose the game big because the coach made some mistakes and the quarterback made some mistakes. Sometimes they're going to do it individually and they're going to cost the team the game. That's the difference between the sort of ultimate ceiling of this team. You have it at 11, I have it at nine. I just think a couple more times they sort of don't line up and one or the other of them makes a mistake that keeps them from winning a tight game because like you said, the margin in the NFL is razor thin. If this team wins nine games, make no mistake it is a very successful year for a rookie head coach and a hopefully we presume a rookie quarterback starting most of the time could they still be in the playoff hunt they could we saw crazier things we saw an eight win team win a division outright last year
1: i don't think that's going to be the colts fate we don't fate. speak about the nfc south right <laughs> i don't
0: i don't think that's going to be the colts fate but could they still be in the playoff hunt with 9 wins as a better than 500 team yeah, they absolutely could. Um, not going to predict that right away, but a nine win season for this team would be a successful
1: result. They do play the AFC North, uh, in addition to obviously playing against the AFC South, which is a better division than they get given credit for. But the AFC North is a battle royale of a Good division. Good so luck. Pay attention. Uh, You know, if you're not a Colts fan and and you want to check in on this team throughout the year and see where they are in their development curve, watch how they play against the AFC North throughout the year, because if they can survive them, they can survive almost anything. Yeah, they can go far at that point. That is that is a tough,
0: tough division to play against. And if they are a tough out or give them a game right down to the last few minutes, it is a very good sign.
1: Yeah. Again, 2023 might not be when it fully gets all the way there. 2024? Yeah, might be in business. Uh, all right. That'll wrap it up for the Colts. Uh, once again, thank you to Underdog for sponsoring. Promo code BOOTLEG. Match your deposit up to $100. Uh, i am wearing uh, a hoodie from our other main sponsor, main partner, Homage. Yeah. It's extremely soft. They have de- uh, designs for every single team, like 30-ish designs for every single team. So if you're a Colts fan and you want to check out all the Colts gear that homage has to offer they they got the official license so it's every Colts design you can think of yep. they've, got they've got it
0: got retro they've got new they even have grateful dead fusion designs mm-hmm. with NFL teams they've got t-shirts hoodies uh, home stuff, away stuff. You want a blue shirt, great. You want a white shirt, great. You want a, you know,
1: shirt starter the- jackets. Yeah, all, of it.
0: all the good stuff. So use the promo code down in the description. Anything you buy using that code at Homage supports the podcast, helps us
1: continue to bring you these episodes. We'll be back tomorrow talking Titans, and then the day after that we're talking Jags, and then we are picking a division winner on the Friday show. In addition to all the in division awards, so. If you're a Coles fan make sure to come back for those and then uh, I think we got God, how many more divisions after that two right we're doing NFC East then AFC East to wrap this thing up and then by the time we're wrapping it up we're in preseason that's right we're off to the races it's you know time is a flat circle oh god EJ I'm so tired <laughs> It, I I never thought that the regular season of the NFL would be um, the least stressful time of year for us. <laughs> the but. time you get more sleep. <laughs> yeah, it, this is insane. I can't believe we're we're managing to do this. But uh, thank you everybody for watching. Uh, we are we're very close to the end. We got two and a half more weeks to go. Hopefully you keep sticking with us. Come back every single day. And uh, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Talking Titans.